Welcome to Parsha in Progress. I'm Abigail Pogrebin, author of My Jewish Year. And I'm Dov Linzer, president of Yeshivat Chovevei Torah Rabbinical School. And we're two very different Jews talking about the same Torah together. Today we're talking about Parshat Bechukotai. How am I doing, Dov? Bechukotai. That's uh, pretty good for that word. Thanks. Don't forget the... <laughs> <laughs> the Parsha that lists all the terrible tragedies that will befall the Jewish people if they violate God's commandments. It's actually a pretty terrifying list. It goes on and on and on. So for me, the main question that came up in reading this Parsha was, should God or should we be threatening people to get them to do the right thing? Because if you're asking me, that's a really bad reason to do things. Yeah, I agree. It's not ideal, but I do think that often it's really necessary. I mean, in in life and even in religion, and I'm okay with that. I think this tension plays out a lot in parenting. Parenting? You mean all of us perfect parents who never threaten our children to do what we want them to? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Listen, it's not standard parenting procedure, I agree, but I think that sometimes our kids aren't listening to us or they're misbehaving, and we often do have to threaten punishment. Maybe your kids aren't listening to you. (laughs) Yeah, it's just me, Abby. Seriously, I mean, look, I'm ambivalent about it. Mm -hmm. We're driven by what things we might get in return, like, you know, what motivates us, uh, a salary, a reward, a nice trophy, um, or, you know, punishments or negative consequences that if we don't, if we do something wrong, I mean, sometimes because people are being held accountable, they're going to do their best work, which they wouldn't otherwise do. Well, let's read it. Let's read the text that we're discussing. It's Leviticus 26.15. This is God speaking. If you reject my laws and spurn my rules so that you do not observe all my commandments and you break my covenant, I, in turn, will do this to you. I will wreak misery upon you, consumption and fever, which cause the eyes to pine and the body to languish. I will go on smiting you sevenfold for your sins. That's not sixfold. <laughs> Seven. Sevenfold. It's really many folds. I will loose wild beasts against you, and they shall bereave you of your children and wipe out your cattle. Just to point out, Abby, you're skipping a couple of verses. So oh, this, yeah. this There's is much a ton, ton, much bloodier. And if you withdraw into your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into enemy hands. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters. God is really saying we'll cannibalize our kids? My yeah. goodness. I will lay your cities in ruin and make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not savor your pleasing oath. Odors. Just to be clear, Dove, your odors were never pleasing. Well, that's our previous discussion about sacrifices. <laughs> and just, okay, so that these are fighting words. I will send pestilence among you. You shall be delivered into enemy hands. These are God's words. It's, it's, it's actually uh, kind of nasal clearing. <laughs> Yes, but listen, first of all, let's remember that it started with a list of all the blessings that you'll receive if you do the mitzvot. So he started with the good. Right. I shouldn't say he. God started with the good. There you go. And this is a core religious principle of reward and punishment. I mean, we say it every day in the Shema blessing, the affirmation of faith, that if we do the mitzvot, they'll have rains in the right season. If we transgress, we'll be driven from the land. It actually goes back to the Garden of Eden. Um, God says, don't eat from the tree of good and evil, because on the day you eat from it, you will surely die. You know, our actions have consequences. That is what this this idea, this principle of faith is about. I think I can relate to that as an abstract principle, but I'm stuck on the idea that God needs to threaten us with this pretty shocking litany of if-then promises or threats to get a desired result. I mean, that seems antithetical to faith, and I can't accept that God really wants our obedience or our kind acts to happen because we were terrified. 
Look, I agree. It's not the ideal. But there's a reason why religions have been talking about hellfire and damnation for the millennia, because often people aren't doing things for the right reason, and they are doing it because of a fear of consequences. Hellfire works. Hellfire does work. Maybe it's not always necessary, but it works for a lot of people. Well, I think that we get better results as parents, as you mentioned, or as employers, if people are motivated by purer things. Like what? Like just wanting to do a good job because you take pride in excellence. Like wanting to help someone because it's gratifying to see what kindness can do for another person. And there's a million examples. It just makes me think that love of God or of Judaism isn't sufficient to do those commandments, those mitzvot, and that somehow God or the men who wrote God's words, they knew that. It often isn't sufficient. I mean, the rabbis have a saying that if it's not possible to do a mitzvah for the right reason, do it anyway. Because if you do something for not the right reason, you'll come to do it for the right reason. What does it mean for you to do mitzvot for their own sake? To do it because it's meaningful, because it's ethical, because it's the right thing to do. Well, for me, I do it primarily because God commanded me to do it. But it's still not the same as when you find meaning in it on your own. When I was writing about every Jewish holiday uh, in the calendar for my book, My Jewish Year, I struggled with the six fasts. I'd never done all six before. And it's not just that I was hungry. It was hard to connect to the destruction of the temple, which is, you know, four out of the six fasts are for the destruction, Mm -hmm. which feels like a very remote kind of you know, symbol building center of observance, and especially the fast of Tzom Gedalia, when we fast for this obscure Jewish general who was assassinated by his fellow Jerusalemites. So I I did stick with not eating because I was committed to doing everything Mm -hmm. that was required, but I haven't fasted for Gedalia since, and I'm not proud of that, but I would say, you know, one food abstention a year on Yom Kippur is enough for me, Dayenu. <laughs> but when you dove, you fast all six times every year, even for the minor holidays. And it, it I, aren't you annoyed somewhat by the kind of uh, a remoteness of their meaning? Are you thinking, you know, I'm really hungry and I'm uncomfortable and the reasons for this fast are antiquated and obsolete. Why am I still doing this? Absolutely, Abby. You are not the only person who has a problem with Tzom Gedalia. When I'm doing these fasts, sometimes I'm exactly thinking that. I'm hungry. I'm uncomfortable. This isn't religiously meaningful. And for the most part, when it's not Yom Kippur, I find fasting counterproductive. It's hard for me to focus and to be religiously, you know, uh, in touch with, uh, with the day or to be productive in any way. But at the end of the day, I'm committed to halacha, and there's no question that I'm going to fast on the day, and that's where I find meaning. I'd like to find the meaning you talk about, but if in the end the only meaning is because of my observance and commitment to halacha, that's sufficient. But what would you say is the internal driver, not the external one, that that is obligation, but what internally makes you not touch that English muffin? That God commanded me, that that's the halacha, that's my obligation. I guess I can get there. We do it simply because it's what we do. But I will never be thrilled by the idea that God needs to intimidate us to get results. Listen, we don't have to love it or be moved by it, but we have to do it. Ideally for the right reason, but if it takes a little external motivation, so be it. So be it. Shabbat shalom, Dove. Shabbat shalom, Abby. Parsha in Progress is written and hosted by Rabbi Dove Linzer and Abigail Pogrebin. It's produced by Shira Talishkin, The show is executive produced by Josh Cross and Tablet Magazine. If you like the show, head over to iTunes and leave a review, rate us. That always helps more people find out about Parsha in Progress. And make sure to tell all of your friends. You can also write to us at ParshaInProgress at tabletmag.com. We'd love to hear your comments. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.